0: Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. If you have been listening to my podcast, you know that religion and faith are important to me. I look to seek what feels true to me, and most of how I operate in this life is through the lens of my faith. I deeply appreciate others who do the same. I like to see how people interact with their understanding of God in a way that brings forth care and reduces harm. This is why when I stumbled upon David Hayward's comics, more commonly known as The Naked Pastor. It brought me great joy. Since I'm friends with many people in ministry, my newsfeed would highlight a lot of his work. It wasn't until I got Instagram where I spent time looking more closely at his work and learning more of his story. David is a pastor turned artist. He paints, draws, and thinks about what it takes to be free to be ourselves. David invites those who need to deconstruct their faith lives to do so alongside of him through his art and other forms of expression. David's name of the naked pastor stems from seeking the naked truth. And this, as I said before, is why I am drawn to his form of ministry. David, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Kara. So,
0: yeah, it's good to meet you. I'm really excited. And I actually told my friends that I feel like I might fangirl a little bit because (laughs) I am a fan of yours and I I just really love uh, all the comics and the things that you put out. And so as I got to know more about you, right, you called the naked pastor. And so you're a pastor turned artist. So I want to know how did you get there?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, Pastor turned artist, you know, I've always been an artist.
0: Right. I was going to say, I'm like, this kind of always lives within you.
1: (laughs) I I don't ever remember not painting or drawing or whatever. And um, then I I went into the ministry. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I feel now that I left the ministry in 2010, Mm. I served the church for about 30 years as a pastor. I left the ministry in 2010. And I kind of feel like I'm getting back to who I really am. So, uh, maybe it should be pastor returned to, to uh, artists, to artists. To yeah. Artists. Um, when I went into the ministry, even though I was doing some art and music and, and things like that, my full-time gig was really being a pastor. And I used to say I was a, an artist trapped in a pastor's body. And now maybe I'm a pastor trapped in an artist's body. I don't know. Cause mm-hmm. Some people say that I'm still doing the work of a pastor just online. Yeah. And so I'm okay with that if that's what's happening. And it seems to be that's what's happening. I'm hearing back from a lot of people who are really grateful like you are for my work and my cartoons and my whatever I'm writing. Um, it's it's helping them in their spiritual journey, which I think is the role of a pastor. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I like I said, I left the ministry in 2010. Um, I struggled trying to figure out what to do. And then I just decided I'd been blogging Naked Pastor since 2005. I thought, well, let's see if I can make this a full-time gig. And I put everything into it. And uh, lo and behold, that's what I'm doing full-time now. So that's how it happened.
0: What was your initial call into ministry?
1: Well, you know what? I always struggled with that. <laughs> i i have friends who just knew they were called to the ministry and and everything and i never ever felt confident i was doing the right Mm. thing Mm -hmm. even on the night before i was going to be ordained i was with my friends who were being ordained with me and the guy who was preaching our ordination who's a friend of ours and it was in the presbyterian church in canada and I'm like, oh, I was really, really struggling. Am I doing the right thing? And and they're like, oh, just shut up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I just shut up and did it. And um, you know, I I I I struggled with it the whole time. Um mm-hmm. I'm I don't like um feeling like I I'm, I don't like being controlled or told what to do or having to fit into a box or anything like I, freedom is my number one, you know, um, thing. And there was a lot of times in the ministry, I didn't feel that. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, you know, people in the ministry, oh, you're just kicking against the pricks and all this kind of stuff. And um, just, you need to settle in and all that. So uh I don't know I I just eventually um I, I struggled all the way through I I, I was I feel like I was a good pastor I studied I researched I was searching I did my best as I could preaching and leading and and all that kind of thing until in 2009 or so I started feeling like the box was getting too small mm-hmm. and that uh the only way I could continue on my journey was by sort of having an amicable divorce with the church. Yeah. And that I mean, that particular one. And as it happened, uh, when I left the ministry, even though I didn't intend this to happen, it did happen that um, it was sort of, I sort of left the church at the same time just because of the situation. And um, so, yeah.
0: I feel you because I, you know, went to seminary and I was also that person who was like, I'll never go to seminary. <laughs> and then I had people say, You're going to go to seminary. And then I <laughs> went and I was like, Dang it. <laughs> I was like mad about it.
1: Yeah. Well, I went to seminary because uh, I went to Gordon Conwell. I took oh, yeah. Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary near Boston. And I mm-hmm. I was taking the scholarly route. Like, so I took years of Greek, years of Hebrew, Aramaic. I was studying under Dr. Gordon Fee, um, you know, um, New Testament textual critic, world famous. And, you know, I I wanted to be a New Testament Bible scholar. Mm. And so um, I went to Toronto, the University of Toronto, started my PhD in New Testament studies. And, you know, that was my, that was my intention. Sure. Um, And I felt good about that. But then we got pregnant. And... We sort of had to take a detour, which ended up being the main road. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Do you feel that sometimes within church culture, because of things like getting pregnant or wanting to get married or wanting to live together, that that kind of predetermines to the road oh. that you need to take?
1: Oh, no, we were married.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. We were, Lisa and I were married. And um, oh, no, we we followed all the rules. We were really good.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> kids. I mean, we went in, we met in a Pentecostal Bible College, oh, okay. and, um, uh, down in Springfield, Missouri, uh, which is Pentecostal Central. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we fell in love and um, got married two days after I graduated
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, down in Alabama, and that's where she's from, and. Um, you know, we we just fell madly in love and you know, we were on this we went to Gordon Conwell and then um to the University of Toronto and and then we've been trying to get pregnant for seven years and couldn't. Okay. We were going through all kinds of tests and procedures and everything, and and um and then something happened. That's and
2: great.
1: <laughs> pregnant and we were suddenly forced to make a decision and that didn't include continuing in my PhD. Uh,
2: So mm -hmm.
1: uh, I was offered uh, a route that I could be in full-time ministry within a year. And uh, that's the route I took, ended up at McGill university. And then we um, went into the ministry and that's when I started serving as a full-time pastor for all those years after that. But no, we, we, uh, You know, I just did a cartoon the other day um, where I I sort of do these Google Translate where um, I've been
0: seeing those lately. I would like them. From
1: Christianese to English. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So
1: the Christianese, one of them I just did last week, it was madly popular, was the Christianese says, we didn't have sex until we were married. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And then the English translation of that is: We did everything else but intercourse. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly, yeah. which is
0: a lot of what happens, right? As we, as
1: oh, we know. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at Pentecostal Bible College where they still had the six-inch rule, where you had to stay six inches away from a woman, and um, so that no public display of affection, PDA, Really, no public display of affection. And I had tons of friends, uh, well, not tons, but I had a lot of friends got kicked out for confessing that they masturbated or, um, that they confessed that they were parking and, you know, heavy petting or whatever, and they were kicked out of school and all that kind of stuff. So, it was, oh my it was an interesting ride
0: i would think so that's mm-hmm. like a leave room for the holy spirit kind of thing right with like what? the space with the, the the space. <laughs> where they put leave room for the holy spirit
2: mm-hmm.
0: i always you know as someone who studies uh religion and things i'm mm-hmm. and now being a sex educator i'm like man what is that teaching people about intimacy right mm-hmm. of like these rules of you can't get close. <laughs> you can't get close to people. You can't connect. Yeah. Where I was like, this is the opposite, I feel, of what Jesus wanted in terms of, like, connecting and being, yeah. forming relationship and being intimate.
1: You it's know? interesting. I have a lot of friends and acquaintances who've come out of what they call the purity culture, which right. um, they were taught and raised that there should be no physical displays of affection or no mm-hmm. connecting, no touching. No, kissing even. I, I know people who never kissed until they were married.
2: Wow.
1: And, um, or held hands, you know. And, um, and I don't know, Lisa and I, um, Lisa's my wife, by the way. Uh, we seemed to not be hung up about that. Mm. Um, and we found ways <laughs> of enjoying ourselves. And, um, I mean, I'm glad we weren't caught, but, uh, you know, we, we've always had a pretty alive, um, passionate relationship Mm -hmm. and we weren't hung up about all those, all those things, you know, Mm -hmm. that no, now she wasn't raised in a Christian home. And, um, I, for some reason didn't absorb that kind of teaching, um, But uh, yeah, so but I know a lot of people who suffer and struggle from that for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure, it's really hard. So, what feels like the naked truth to you, as you call yourself Mm. the naked pastor, searching for the naked truth?
1: Yeah, a lot of people say, "Oh, naked pastor, that's gross. Why do you call yourself that?" (laughs) I'm like, "Come on now, use your imagination. What do you think it means?" You know, I know, I, um, and they'll say, "You're just being honest." and straightforward and yeah there you go it wasn't mm-hmm. hard but,
2: yeah you know. <laughs> there you go but, you uh,
1: the you know i do recommend if you google naked pastor it's one word mm. uh you if you google two words you're going to see things you can't unsee i've tried it mm. and uh yeah naked pastor
0: yeah and I.
1: I, I started using that word back when the naked chef and the naked archaeologist and the naked truth and all that was popular. Mm-hmm. Since all changed their names, but I, I didn't. <laughs> naked pastor sort of became a brand, and uh, it's you know everybody. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people have heard about naked pastor. So,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: but uh, I, I started blogging when I was in the ministry as a pastor, and there were a lot of pastors blogging, and I thought, you know, I want to be different I want my blog to be really totally honest I'm going to speak the truth about what it's like to be in the ministry Mm. I'm not going to just talk about the wonderful worship music and the great offerings and the crowds and the baptisms and the you know wonderful fellowship and potlucks and donuts and coffee all that stuff I wanted to talk about the conflict my own personal fears and doubts and struggles You know, losing members, the fights, the Mm. struggling with meeting the bills as a church, you know, all that stuff. So I I wanted to sort of throw back the curtain, let people see. So that's why I called it the Naked Pastor. And it was just sort of me being vulnerable and open and honest. And then when I left the ministry, I struggled with whether or not I should keep the name. But then people convinced me to because I still kind of am a virtual pastoral presence, I suppose. And I'm still as honest as I can be. So I, I decided to stick with the naked pastor. How so did... The naked truth for me is being authentic, being my true authentic self. And that's what I try to encourage others to do.
0: How did people respond to your blog where you were able to talk more about the unpleasant things that can happen in church culture and things?
1: Well, naked pastors never enjoyed a lot of warm, fuzzy popularity. It's always been... Controversial, mm. Mm. so you know, even starting with the name "Naked Pastor," and then me sort of revealing company secrets,
2: right? <laughs> kind of being
1: a whistleblower on the ministry and on the church because mm-hmm. I wasn't inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people were like, "I can't believe you're criticizing the church—the very hand that feeds you," you know. And then, right? When I did leave the church and continued critiquing the church. They're like, "I can't believe you're critiquing the church." when you don't have anything to do with it, like mind your own business. So there was no win. There's no winning, right? Sure,
0: exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, I just believe in uh, people should be allowed to pursue their own authentic personal selves and um, that the church should be one of the safest places for that to happen. Unfortunately, it's not. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I agree. That's one of the things too where I talk about I think churches have to start learning how to talk about sexuality or acknowledging Mm. it without always damning everyone around it. Because in my opinion, we're sexual and spiritual creatures. And going into a church space, constantly feeling like anything I'm doing is bad or not okay. We are losing the ability to have, I think, true intimacy and connection with the creator because we're constantly sitting there like, yeah, I'm not worthy of such or I am not okay. And right. I I don't think we minister to the full person, right? When we're not engaging all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the the church's ability to provide safe space for people to be their authentic self takes a lot of courage. Mm. Um, it's like with your children um, if you have children when you say you can be totally honest with me I'm not going to judge you you I'm going to be your safe person mm-hmm. and you can you need to know that I'm here for you no matter what you have to tell me
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, Lisa and I made that decision early with our kids that we prefer to maintain a relationship and not be right all the time Right. So, and as a result our kids are now all in their 30s and we have a great relationship with them and um it's wonderful so we did the right thing and i think if churches did but that's scary right
2: because really?
1: you don't want to hear there's going to be tmi all the time too much mm-hmm. information all the time
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and they're going to have a value system that's different than yours you know it's kind of like when um you, have you heard of esther pearl oh yeah So, when she came on the scene, Mm -hmm. she was saying some pretty radical things about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, Serial monogamy, you know, and things like that. And, um, you know, that's pretty radical stuff, even outside of the church in the secular world. You know, it was pretty, she was really, really super honest.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: And and sometimes it's like uncomfortable watching her, listening to her, reading her books, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like, uh, for example, uh, Mating in Captivity or whatever.
2: Which
1: is a great book. But Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I feel that the church could grapple with those issues uh, Mm -hmm. and be that safe space where we could talk about sexuality honestly. Right. Um, I think we'd see less people running away from the church.
0: I agree. I mm. kind of feel like that's one of the, that's, I think one of the main reasons why people continue to leave because I don't think it's meeting people's needs. Right. Like
1: that's right.
0: we want to go to a place where we can like, say when people say, how are you doing? You don't have to say, I'm doing fine.
1: Right.
2: You yeah. know,
0: like you can be like, no, I feel kind of lousy and I just need to be, <laughs> I just need to yeah. stay here or I'm feeling really great or I need support or X, Y, and Z, right. you know?
1: So, yeah, the, uh, but it's understood, right? That when somebody asks that question, it's not superficial. They mean it. How are you?
0: Exactly. And
1: I have the time to listen to a long, painful response. Right, <laughs> right. I'm here so,
0: for whatever you give me, kind of thing. Yeah.
1: So, how are you feeling? And and uh, then we can get down and really, really talk about it. I've tried to provide such communities. I've tried it in churches and. To a certain extent, it it works. It's chaotic, uh, but it's really rich.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I try to provide the same thing online. I have an online community called The Lasting Supper where I try to provide a safe place for people to vent and be themselves and be authentic and question and and whatever. And we're not going to jump in with advice or an answer or a solution or a correction or a rebuke. And, you know, I really do believe those kinds of spaces can can be formed
2: mm-hmm. cuz
1: they're out right there and yeah. um I've experienced them and experienced them now mm-hmm. and uh but it like like we've been saying it's very very scary mm-hmm. which is why a lot of people don't try it i think
2: well i think
0: it's it's admitting you know vulnerability you have to be vulnerable to do that and then it's also admitting that we don't have all the answers mm-hmm. which is and we're going to and it's so it's like a you know an experiment like <laughs> We're gonna get our hands dirty. We're gonna, get,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I called it. This is an experiment mm-hmm. because we don't have the answer. We're forging new um, territory. We're we're blazing a new trail here, a new path to somewhere we've never been. So we don't have a map. Um, we're making this up as we go along. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A lot of people don't like that. They want a plan. They want a vision. They want a goal. Uh, and um, a mission and all that and I think all that kills community personally myself Um, and uh, if if we can treat it like an experiment where we have to be on our toes and negotiate every step of the way every day Mm -hmm. uh, it makes for a powerful dynamic community I've seen it
0: so I really want you to speak (laughs) more to what you just said of if you if there's goals and different things that's what kind of Kills a community. Can you speak more about that? Because that's fascinating.
1: Well, you know, I talk about that quite a bit. I re- actually wrote a book about it um, oh. called uh, Without a Vision, My People Prosper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's it's cool. the, the verse in the Bible is Without a Vision, My People Perish, right? So I, 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 the, the root of that actually isn't vision. It's without a prophetic word, meaning without some kind of, a, um, without some kind of voice or word from the Lord then what um, you perish. It's not a vision. A lot of churches, they'll use that. We need a vision. We need mm-hmm. a vision statement. Um, otherwise we're going to perish. Well, I disagree totally. 100%. I'm on the complete opposite. Um, so I wrote a book called without a vision, my people prosper. Um, and uh, it's very, very controversial stance. Uh, but The same people appreciate Bonhoeffer's book on community Mm -hmm. in which he, he declares visionary thinking kills the church. Mm. People quote it all the time, but they don't realize the seriousness of what's being said. So when you, um, when you, I'll try to unwrap it uh, a little bit. Uh, When you propose a vision and a mission and a goal for, congregation then everybody has to step in line mm-hmm. to meet that vision and goal you have to compromise something you have to give up stuff you cannot be your authentic self because now you're a part of a rowing uh team on this galley ship and mm-hmm. you have to be in tune with everybody else and forget your own needs and desires hmm. uh, and yourself we're all pitching in we're sacrificing our egos and our selfish selves to participate together, to get this ship, we call the church, to a better place. Mm. And that's exactly what happens um, when visionary thinking happens in a church. And so I decided as a pastor to not have a vision statement, not have a mission or goal. Let's just get together and I we provide a safe space for people to be free. We figure out how to be free together. How can I be free without violating Kara's freedom? How mm. can Kara be free without violating my freedom? Let's figure this out. And I'm telling you, stuff gets done.
0: That's amazing. exciting. That done. like just made me really excited.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it's 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 an amazing energy that happens that you can't produce by imposing yeah. uh vision on a congregation. Uh, because it kills creativity, it kills authenticity but when you allow people to be free and to become their fullest selves and to blossom it becomes a beautiful garden really does and it really does happen i've seen it with my own eyes Mm -hmm. locally in my last church that i pastored and also i see it online no vision no mission um Mm. no goal. the only thing is this is a safe space for you to be you and it's amazing what happens
0: Is there any like initial chaos that happens at first? Because
1: no, there's. Really, it's always.
0: Oh, it's (laughs) like it's constant. So, do you think that's what maybe makes people afraid of it? Because we're so used to like we need like people. There's comfort for some people in knowing this is how things will be. This is how I have to operate. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you would think, like you were sitting there a moment ago. Oh, this makes me so excited. That terrifies a lot of people. It scares mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I've actually had people sit down in my pastor's study, across from my back desk, and tell me, "Listen, we pay you to tell us what to believe and what to do." Mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of people that really want that kind of church, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And. But when you get people together and you encourage everyone to be free, yes, there's chaos, but that's where the creativity happens. It's creative chaos, right? Yeah. People are afraid of it. Leaders are terrified of it and justifiably. So they enact tools to manage people Mm -hmm. and and to keep this congregation as peaceful as possible.
2: Mm
1: And, 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 of course, most leaders, that's what they resort to because the creative chaos is unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen um, and you can't go to the bank with it. You yeah. know, uh-huh. and, and uh, it's 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 frightening. So try the same thing with your family, with our kids. We told our kids, listen, we always want to be in a relationship with you guys. Um here, the drinking age in Canada is 18. I know it's 21 in the States, but it's mm-hmm. 18 here. And so, and but we know, we know our kids are probably gonna drink before the drinking age. Right. We know they might have sex before they're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know they might try marijuana and other things, you Now, which is legal in Canada, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, so we told them, listen, no matter what's happened, if you're at a party and you know you've you've drank or whatever, you give us a call, we're not gonna judge you or whatever, you know, our feelings about it. But right. we want we wanna be there for you, we want to help you and all that kind of thing. Right. Also, do you need us to buy you some condoms or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how controversial this is gonna be for your listeners I don't whatever. Know. no, this, no. This is the way we chose to parent. Yeah. We want to be there for you. Uh, these are our values. We're trying to pass on down to you, but we know you're going to form your own and and we're here to support you and help you to get to to be your most authentic self and to be happy Mm -hmm. and and healthy and whole and, you know, everything. We even told our kids, listen, we have no doubt that at some point you're going to need to go to counseling and talk about your parents and we'll pay for it. So, you know, everything like that, that kind of honesty in a family, Mm -hmm. it's it's really rich. um, And I think it does provide a really safe culture for your kids to grow up and become really healthy humans. But Mm -hmm. it's frightening. Mm -hmm. Most of the parents we know uh, find it easier to establish rules. Yeah. And um, there's just a different dynamic happens there.
2: Yeah.
1: A different relationship with your kids.
0: We also have told our kids <clears throat> that we know they'll go to counseling, <laughs> and that anytime <laughs> they tell a story about parents, that they might win the story because <laughs> they have a father as a pastor and a mother as a sex educator. <laughs> I was like, that just like <laughs> blows stuff out of the water.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was like, sure. there's
0: gonna be lots of therapy. We know this already.
2: <laughs> yeah, but
0: yeah, for sure.
2: That's good.
0: You kind of you k- spoke to this a little bit, but I just wanted to emphasize it a little bit more Mm -hmm. a lot of your comics involve sexuality and the themes around sexuality and um, orientation and different things like that Mm -hmm. so why do you believe that is important and part of the truth to highlight the way that you do in your comics
1: Mm -hmm. well it really the the root of it is my personal drive my most passionate drive I think is my own personal freedom and ever since I remember it was seldom encouraged it was often um, challenged or suppressed or rebuked or whatever and I'm I now live in a way that uh, I'm I feel very free and I'm feel like I'm my most authentic self And at this point, and I don't have a boss. I don't have uh, people around me that have the authority to demand things uh, from me and so on. So my own personal freedom to be my authentic self, that's my number one thing, I think, for me. Mm -hmm. So as a result, that's my number one wish for others is to have the freedom to be their their um, authentic self if they're gay or straight or trans or asexual or polyamorous or whatever i don't care mm-hmm. just don't hurt anybody
2: right. <laughs> and,
1: right yeah and be safe and you know this obsession like one of my cartoons is um where a, a guy and a girl are sitting down at a table and the guy says I don't know what the problem is but ever since I became an evangelical I just can't stop obsessing about people's genitals. And it's really true. It's true. <laughs> People like I don't understand the obsession with um and 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 with the this uh incessant need to control other people's lives and tell them how they should be like it's this completely binary black and yeah. white world yeah Um, wrong or right holy or or evil or whatever i don't care like seriously i don't care if you're gay or trans or straight or what that's to me is you know it's important but i i don't care Mm -hmm. so i don't understand people who care so much about that like i just i don't get it and um so that's that really is what it's about for me is for everybody to have that freedom to be their authentic self. Mm-hmm. Why should I enjoy that and not somebody else?
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the suppression so much of like the sexuality or the conversations around mm-hmm. our bodies then becomes the obsession, you know, of yeah. people. And yeah. it's just, it's fascinating. Like you said. Uh, like,
1: uh, what's happening in the States now with, uh, you know, um, <laughs> banning uh, trans people, going after their parents. Um, it's so upsetting. Don't, don't say gay. Well,
0: they are they're, uh,
1: we're, they're not the there's, whole thing. Romance there's romance. so
0: much that I can't like. This whole entire sex education world is being like threatened and is being oh, yeah. and like sex educators mm. like myself, where we've gotten hate mail. Mm-hmm. They're like telling us that we are groomers, which is far from the truth, right? Like I tell people the one of the main reasons I went into this uh, profession is to end the cycle around sexual molestation and things mm-hmm. like that, and to, and to help um, educate people so that, Hey, they have a good life and a better life. And like you're talking about, like, it makes me really upset to see The way that I feel as a Christian, Jesus's ministry, which was reaching out to so many people that society I felt pushed away Mm -hmm. um, and just to be with and care for and uh, include. And I feel like so much of what Christianity has become in the Western civilized culture has been anything but that and has been pushing people away Mm -hmm. and not looking at how to reduce harm and how to care and how to love. Mm-hmm. And then the obsession, like you talked about with genitals, it's just like huh. what? And now there was something where a judge signed off on saying that taking medication prep for HIV is against religious freedom.
1: Yeah, there was a company who wanted it removed from their insurance health insurance policy that uh any of their employees could be covered for HIV medication, yeah. That it was against their religious beliefs. And they just should, sure. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah.
0: also, at the same token, I'm like, well, anyone gets HIV. <laughs> like, any person can get HIV. Like, yeah. this is why we have yeah. these drugs available.
1: So, yeah. I mean, when we go on vacation, we're warned about, you know, what kind of water you drink because of HIV. So, I, you know, it's uh, it's it's weird how it's becoming so sort of uh, the, you know, Christian Taliban. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. And the ignorance too. I mean,
2: yeah. I,
1: sometimes I'll be there and I'll be catching up on Twitter on the news or whatever. And I'll just be like, Oh my, I'll just shake my hand. And least so like, what? I said, <laughs> this Senator actually believes that a woman's stomach's connected to her uterus. Like the, that something can go from her stomach to her uterus. And uh, like like they just don't, just basic female anatomy. <laughs> you know, and these are the people making laws. I know. I, I know.
0: really want to give like a, a comprehensive sex education class like I do to fifth and sixth graders, to people in Congress and mm-hmm. say stuff like, if you learned one thing <laughs> from here, then let's have a conversation of how actually important this really is and how our lives would have been different. Yeah. Like that's something I dream about doing of just saying, you know, cause I also make my lessons really fun and engaging and
2: oh, yeah. we play
0: games and things like this. So I just feel like if they could go through a class and, and just sit there and be like, tell me what you've learned. Like how has your life changed just from this one moment of learning about our anatomy and what it does
2: mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah.
0: So what I love also about your comics is that some of your comics are simple as illustrations like you have, like with the Google translate and things that are like pretty powerful. And it's Mm. like, they give us the right amount of detail to hit us in the gut and just be like, yes, you know, (laughs) that's what I feel. So I, Multiple times looking at your comics, I go, yes, (laughs) I feel that. So what is the process for you with some of this? And, where Mm. this stuff comes from and how you envisioned it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I I started naked pastor as a blog back in 2005. And then like, I, I've always been an artist, but I never drew a cartoon really. I thought uh, I like a good cartoon. Um, There was a cartoonist I was following at the time. And he said, he, he tries to draw a cartoon every day. I thought, Hey, I'm going to try and draw a cartoon. Mm. I'm going to challenge myself to draw one a day until I run out of ideas. Mm. And I thought I might last two to four weeks. So that was 2005. Where are we now? So 17 years later, I'm still drawing cartoons almost every day. Really? And uh, so, yeah, I just, I just came out with a new book. um, Flip it like this.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, I'm trying to find it here where, um, I've I got the my best of cartoons uh, out of thousands and it was really hard to decide which ones to include in that book but um for me the process is uh it the idea just kind of pops into my head I I could be running or driving my car or going for a walk in the woods with my dog or some and the idea will just pop into my head hmm Sometimes I'll be thinking about spiritual abuse, or I'll be thinking about purity culture, or I'll be thinking about some stupid things some leaders are teaching in the church or whatever. And then a, a funny thought or a poignant thought or a sad thought will pop into my head and I'll think of a picture for it. So that that's how it happened. It's uh I I very I don't sit down and think, what can I draw that will really Uh, be popular or what can I draw that people will really like rather Mm -hmm. it's me it's coming out of me and my own desire to express something yeah and I find cartoons you know when I started drawing them um, more people were coming to my blog I mean it only Mm -hmm. takes a split second to see my cartoon
2: Mm -hmm.
1: whereas if you write a thousand word post that takes a couple of minutes and so I just like the speed and the effectiveness and the the punch that the cartoons deliver. And so mm-hmm. I never know though, from one day to the next, mm-hmm. if it's a good cartoon or not um, in the eyes of the people out there. Yeah. Uh, the one the other day I drew um, about Holy Ghosted. Um, yes. Oh, uh, yes. Where they said, you know, nobody from our church has contacted us said maybe we've been holy ghosted
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I said has this happened to you and holy smokes like over 5,000 people you know come on and see that and so many comments and but then I did did one the other day I thought was really good I loved it but we didn't see you know 10% of the people so I never know from one day to the next maybe that's good yeah Thank i can't you. you know milk the cow all the time or steal the golden egg all the time so yeah i just i just uh draw what inspires me and sometimes it hits home and sometimes it doesn't i just mm-hmm. can't yeah. yeah
0: but that's staying true to you right you're just drawing what comes that's to right. you and yeah that's the yeah. point again i like that you said the punch right because that's what i believe your comments do is like give us this punch and it's, but they're, for me, it's always good punches.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you kind of, you already mentioned, you know, that people comment and I know that art changes people. So have, do you have a story that has stamp has stood out to you of someone who has directly yeah. told you that
1: yeah.
0: your art changed I them?
1: Yeah, I, I have a ton of stories, um, but let me share uh, a couple. One is uh, really, really hit me. This happened a, a couple of years ago where, um, are you familiar with my Sophia drawings?
0: I just recently, the one with like the women who are, the woman who's in the wilderness.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after I left the ministry, I spr- started drawing this woman, Sophia. And after a while I realized I was drawing my own um, liberation from religion Mm -hmm. and oppression and you know all the negative stuff about it Mm -hmm. and it took a couple of years but eventually I had 59 drawings and I wrote a reflection for each one and turned it into a book the liberation of Sophia and so basically it's my story from captivity in the ministry and in the church to my my freedom Mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm finally free Hmm. I don't mean, I don't mean religion and all that is a prison. I mean, it was for me in the way I was living it. Anyway, I got a, an email from a a young woman who said that she had enrolled in college and all this, she was making her parents happy and all that, but she was totally not happy. And so she decided to quit college. She bought a tent and a sleeping bag and bought my book, the liberation of Sophia and grabbed her journal and just went out into the mountains for like a couple of months and read the book, wrote in her journal and came out of the woods, a different woman, like totally changed. And Mm -hmm. she thanked me for that book that changed her life. And stories like that I get all the time. And um, you know, it's funny the other stories uh, all can be put under one thing. And this is what I love about them because it shows that it's working where you, when you say you're free to be your authentic self, I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to be like me or believe what I believe. I'm not your guru. I'm not your leader. All I'm here to do is to encourage you to be your most authentic self. That's all I'm here for. Mm -hmm. And I hear from people. This is, I finally embraced my inner atheist. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so happy. Thanks for your cartoons and blah 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 and all this. And then just yesterday, I got one from somebody who said I was raised atheist and I always hated Christianity and said, But I I really love your Jesus. <laughs> oh. and she said I found a church I really like and I'm I'm going to church now. And says I just want to thank you for so it you know it's- the wide diversity of responses, but they're all yeah. really the same. Yeah. And that is, I got in touch with myself finally. Yeah.
0: It's finding their... That
1: to me makes me happy.
0: Finding their naked truth.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: To me, I feel like I'm still in the process myself of finding my naked truth. Mm -hmm. And there's a part that is very scary of that because you... I mean, I think what people experience too is that inevitability of disappointing people. You know, and we're always taught not to disappoint people, especially in Christianity, right? Like don't disappoint, mm-hmm. be a certain way yeah. like this. And so it comes with challenges mm-hmm. and it comes with, um, you know, letting down, maybe even a sense of a, a dream that you might've had, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of how things might've been for your life. Right. And so I think sometimes stepping into that space feels daunting and overwhelming, yeah. But then you also hear the stories of when people get through, right. Mm-hmm. Just. Yeah. How they feel like they can breathe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, you know, it's I, I've often said that if everybody around you, your whole life was cheering you on to become your most authentic self, you're more likely that you would, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to go over your own fears of yourself and your dark side and, all the stuff you have to integrate and everything. But if everybody around you, your siblings, your parents, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, your church, your teachers, everybody around you was like, Kara, you can do it. We're here for you. You can be you. We're Mm going to support you 100%. Can you imagine like the, you'd feel far less fear Mm -hmm. about being and expressing your most authentic self. So that makes me conclude that Probably the biggest inhibitor is fear, fear of rejection. Huge. I know for me, I love pleasing people.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
1: I hate it when I disappoint people.
2: Yeah. But
1: if you want to be your most authentic self, you you sort of have to embrace that double edged kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, where your your most authentic self is going to really inspire others and infuriate others Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I feel like just the other day like my daughter taught me this lesson which you'll probably kill me for saying out loud but you know she's someone who's more introverted than I am and things and so sometimes I've I've questioned different things around what she does and where she might find happiness and You know, she says to me, like, "Mom, I'm not like you. Like, this feels good for me. Like, doing this, like, being with my book for this amount of time feels good to me." And I have to constantly be like, "Right, okay," (laughs) you know, because we get we we form. I think it's easy to form these ideas of you know how we want our partners to be, how we want our kids to be, what we think we need to still adhere to in this world. Mm-hmm. But it's like a constantly, like I'm constantly reminding myself too to like bring that stuff down, like yeah, like you said how you do with your kids. So
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, is there? A, go ahead. What?
1: Oh, that's great. I said, how old is your daughter?
0: She is. Um, she's thirteen.
1: Well, she's on the right track. That's great. She's
0: a, she's a wise, wise young woman. Mm. Um what was I gonna say okay so do you have a moment for you where you were impacted by your art in such a way that it kind of changed you
1: Well, yeah okay so my my I was talking about Sophia and I was um, I'd left the ministry I was in absolute chaos I I didn't know what I was going to do I was probably depressed um and I just sat down one Sunday afternoon with a paper and pencil and pen and started drawing. And I ended up with a picture of a girl holding up a teddy bear to a big grizzly bear. And I called it fearless. And um, Lisa's like, what is that? Like, it's just so out of style for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I just, just came out of me. It just felt like drawing it. And mm. next week, my wife's a nurse and she was working nights. And so I opened up a bottle of wine, put on some loud music and, and started drawing another one. And uh, and then another one the next week. And then another one the next week. I was about eight in. Hmm. I was drawing this one called Cave, where she's standing before the big black mouth of a cave, deciding whether or not to go in. And I, I started, like, my eyes were welling up, and I felt very emotional. And I realized, oh, my goodness, this is me. Hmm. This is all me. And it was this profound light went on that I was sort of drawing out in more ways than one. I was drawing out my liberation, my Mm. transition from, you know, and and it was through art. It was Mm. like therapy. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it took two years, for the 59 drawings and all the writing. And it was profound, like I... I would never sit down with a plan of what I was going to write. I would just sit down and then just start drawing. And it would just sort of like this stream of whatever. Mm. And, and then the last one I drew is called light where she's walking out of a, a dark room into the light.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm. And then, then that, I stopped drawing the inspiration stopped.
2: <laughs> That's wild.
1: <laughs> it was over.
0: What what happened for you, I think, in just realizing that, like you said, with the, this art that you're creating was you and that you took mm-hmm. on this role of Sophia,
1: mm-hmm. How
0: did, did that impact you in terms of you becoming Sophia?
1: Yeah. So it was, I realized like, like Carl Jung, the anima, the female side of me, and I felt like that side, the caring, nurturing, mm-hmm. creative, birthing. Um feminine part of me was suppressed in the church. I had to be the male patriarchal teaching guru, leader, pastor, minister, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all that sort of the, the feminine nurturing side was suppressed in me. And and um I was therefore half a person, I wasn't my full self. And so me drawing the Sophia pictures was me letting the Sophia in me, which stands, it's Greek for wisdom. wisdom. Mm-hmm. yeah. My own wisdom to emerge mm. which is very feminine, that feminine aspect of me. And I feel like I'm a much more whole person now
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and whole meaning healthy. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, it was a profound journey and it all, o- and it only took a couple of years, <laughs> you know, from, from leaving the ministry to, finally shedding all of that um heaviness and mm-hmm. and the chains and the expectations and the burdens and and finally feeling free to be myself
0: do you feel like that has changed also in the way that you enter into your relationships with your wife and children
1: once you oh yeah came
0: from that yeah
1: yeah like it's definitely a part of um You know, I I never realized that was all suppressed, that Sophia was in there Mm -hmm. until she begged to come forth, you know. And so it's with our kids. uh, When you provide a a safe place for your kids, you really can't know what to expect. Yeah. True freedom is I have no idea what she's going to be like. (laughs) but i'm gonna trust the process mm-hmm. That if she's given a safe nutritious environment in which to grow she'll become her best self yeah and um we saw that with our two boys and our girl and um yeah it's like a plant you know it's like a uh an acorn or whatever you can Plant it and clear the ground. You got to clear the ground, make sure there's no pests or sticks or stones, that there's nutrients, that it gets sunlight and water and all this kind of thing. But you can't pull on the acorn. You can't crack it open. You can't, once there's a sprout, you can't pull the sprout to make it grow. You can't shape the tree unless you're a bonsai expert. But you you really, all you know is there's going to be an oak tree and um, you have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. And that's but that's great. the beauty of it and the surprise.
0: I feel like you actually are providing ministry to me right now. <laughs> like, I feel like this is exactly what I need to hear as a parent currently in my life.
1: <laughs> so. Well, fasten your seatbelt and put on your helmet because she's entering <laughs> her teen years and our kids' teen years, I'm telling you, man, it was non-stop.
0: Oh gosh, I know.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I would never want to go through that again. Oh God. Yeah. I know.
0: I'm I, nervous.
1: I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we did it the way we did it. That's good. Yeah.
0: I mean, just being a sex educator, I know what happens. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I teach youth all the time. And I'm just like, all right, okay. Just
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Get prepared. Lots of rest. <laughs> all this stuff. Right.
1: Yeah. That was Everything ar- that, that they face. Taxi driver, it felt like that's part of my job. Yeah.
2: Oh
0: my gosh, so do you believe how do I want to phrase this? How do you see that? How are the church, big church? You know, there's many different sects, right. right? How do you see that the big church, the Christian church, and the world need to change right now? Big question. <laughs> <It's fine.
1: laughs> you know, well, okay, I, I do, I'll try to make it short. The um, so. A big a book that had a huge influence in my life was uh, James Fowler's Stages of Faith. Mm. And uh, a lot of people kind of debunk his theory and all that kind of thing. But nevertheless, it, it is helpful to understand that there are, I, I prefer now to think of growth, spiritual growth as spatial, where sure. we kind of go outward more and more and more and, and nothing is rejected. Everything's included, mm-hmm. including our past selves and our past beliefs and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Nothing is wasted so um unfortunately the church is is really good at fostering care until we get to about our adolescent years in our spiritual journeys where we start to question the status quo Mm
2: -hmm. we
1: start to question our the authority figures and our teachers and everything that's passed on to us we sort of get a little bit rebellious um and we're sort of trying to discover how to be ourselves um separate from our parents and separate from our peers and separate from our teachers and but the church really sucks at allowing that to happen spiritually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i believe if the church allowed us to grow beyond our adolescence stage into that very serious questioning stage, you know, where we might even leave home for a while. We might totally reject everything our parents taught us, all their values and everything, kind of like the prodigal son. I don't know. But eventually um, we learn how to become our truest selves and how to integrate everything about our parents and everything that, you know, we how we grew up and all that stuff and 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 get to the next stage, which is a, an integrated stage
2: mm-hmm.
1: where we integrate everything. Right. And um, but the church doesn't let us get past that rebellious stage, it doesn't let us get into that rebellious stage.
2: Mm-hmm. Where
1: we question, we say to the pastor, I don't. I'm not sure I believe you. Like, how many pastors can you know tolerate that kind of language? So, um, or where we reject the system or we, we see problems with the way things are done and we want to see things change, or, you know, we want to, you know, spray graffiti over the beliefs of our forefathers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if the church could somehow figure out a way to uh, allow that to happen in a safe way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in an open-handed way, yeah. uh, I think the church would get back on a track of growth again.
0: Yeah. Isn't what is that one particular religion that has like a year?
1: Is it the Well oh, m- that's the um, Quakers where they they send you off to the into the world for a year? Right. To taste the world, what it's to- like you you're usually expected to come back and saying I had enough of that. And mm-hmm. you know, but some don't, yeah. Line. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. That just made me think of
2: that. But yeah. it's just
1: uh, first uh, first Nations people um, indigenous people where there's the visionary uh the vision trip where you go and and find your spirit animal and mm-hmm. you know you find you you wait until you get a vision for your life and and then you come back to the tribe um, so I wish you know what I'd still be in the church if the church allowed that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that well because I, that's
0: it's helping um you know not have that box that we feel like we have to fit like you're saying like all of this is like the things you're saying are aligning in terms of the rowing the being able to go outside of this box and stuff like we're not supposed to like i always say to people you know god and sex are the two things that should not be in a box and we keep trying to put them in a box and it's it just doesn't work mm-hmm. and yeah. continuously doing that and continuously having the binary thinking removes us from i think the greatness and imagination and like wonders that we could experience
2: yeah you know together agree
0: um do you think that we can get there do you think that there is a way Uh, for us to experience what you're talking about
1: individually yes and individual churches yes um I don't know about denominations or the church in general, Mm -hmm. but you know what? It's 2022. The church has shown a miraculous ability to, you know, endure Mm -hmm. and even like not just survive, but thrive through the centuries and millennia. (laughs) Um, Whether that means it's uh, one of those, cockroaches that never dies or (laughs) that it really is something that has um meaning Mm -hmm. um for people uh i i think the church will always be here um uh i think it deserves to be i think people should have the right to gather around common ideas and values and worship Mm -hmm. their god or whatever like whatever
2: right
1: Uh, and So I think the church people deserve should be allowed that Um, the church therefore will continue to survive. My only thing is, can we please do it in a healthy manner? That's it. That's all.
0: Without creating harm as much as we've created harm.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure. So we're almost come to an end and I always ask my guests, what story are you reframing for yourself right now?
1: Um, that's a good one uh, for me right now. It's that I um, I do so much online.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I realized that the more I'm online, that less healthy I am, mm-hmm. in including physically. Sure. And so for me, um, I mean, I can I can scroll on Twitter trying to keep up with the news, or I love TikTok. Uh, It's so entertaining and informative and, you know, um, but I'm a better person when I'm only online for when I need to be. So for me, just creating space for myself, you know, getting outside, walking barefoot in the grass, walking in the woods, going for a cold swim, breathing, just being in my body and out of my head. That for me is really, really transformative and it's working. Mm. Mm.
0: I feel the same within my own business. I feel like I've constantly had to post and things, which I'm terrible at doing anyway. <laughs> yeah. I get stuck in my head. So now I'm like, I'm just going to post when I feel like it when something comes to me and yeah. just be like that, because I too just need that space of creativity of right breathing room and you know,
1: have you noticed a difference in your business?
0: Yeah, like I I'm growing more locally, which is kind of what I've wanted anyway. And also just being able, I what I love social media for is connecting to people like you, like right. being able to reach out and, and find other people who do similar things that I'm passionate about. And so mm-hmm. I use it a lot mostly for networking um in right. that way. Yeah. So yeah but it has like I feel like I I've been more on top of things for for my own self and in creating
1: content yeah yeah Yeah, like uh I've discovered that um I need a lot of space to be creative Mm -hmm. and social media can invade that space so I need to be very careful or else I'm not as creative as I normally am so and that's important to me being an artist
0: Right.
1: And a <clears throat> so I need to sort of preserve and um, defend that that mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and form a pretty clear boundary. Mm-hmm. And um I've got people who can help me with that. So that's a good one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much and I appreciate that you looked at fear, <laughs> looked at that bear and held up the teddy bear and you yeah. know, and it's was a- able yeah. to to work through that and help others,
1: so I really appreciate that. Thank you.